Hey ladies, I'm here to do chapter 5, which is titled, Where Thoughts Are Captured. Just a forewarning, I may or may not get this chapter done. I've got to leave soon, so we'll see how fast I read or don't read. But I will finish it later if it's not all in one. So chapter 3, Where Thoughts Are Captured. As I mentioned earlier, capturing all thoughts seems an impossible task, especially when we consider our potential numbers of thoughts per minute. Based on that 30,000 thoughts a day and 16 waking hours, we might think about 31 thoughts per minute. Oh my gosh, that sounds intense, huh? Remember what I said about taking just one thought captive? What if one thought held the power to interrupt our spirals and bring peace to our mental chaos? Paul's own life was a picture of interruption. After the scales fell from his eyes, Paul's life and mind centered on an entirely new reality. There was no hope, no other narrative, no other track playing in the background. He stopped the things that had distracted him and let let himself focus on one simple thing. To me, to live is Christ, Paul wrote in Philippians 1.21, and to die is gain. It's all always about Christ. Paul experienced a massive shift, and now he was a totally different man. No longer was he a slave to his circumstances or his emotions. Paul now chose to live aware of the power of Christ in him, through him, and for him. Paul now had the power of the Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, and he chose to live aware of and under that power. In what may be the most provocative explanation in Paul's entire New Testament of provocative explanations, the Apostle had this to say. Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, but ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. In the late Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, the last bit reads like this. We use our powerful God, tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. Here's what I take from these words. You and I have been equipped with power from God to tear down the strongholds in our mind, to destroy the lies that dominate our thought pattern. We have the power and authority to do this. Yet we walk around acting as if we have no power over what we allow into our minds. If our toddler's throwing a fit in the grocery store, we correct him, redirect him. Yet we have allowed our minds to have an outright meltdown with zero correction. For 18 months straight, I thought I was a victim of the arguments against God rising within me. For too many years of my life, I thought I was a victim of negativity rising within me. Do you relate to what I'm saying? Have you also spent way too much of your life believing you are a victim to your thoughts? Paul tells us that we don't have to live this way, that we can take captive our thoughts, and in doing so, we can yield our power for good and for God 
slaying strongholds left and right. The Interrupting Thought This promise of of wielding power over our thoughts sounds great, doesn't it? Yet I sense a small question from you. Um, how? As in, thanks Jenny, that sounds terrific, but how on earth do I get that done? Throughout the coming chapters, you and I will learn how to go to war with the weapons that God has given us. Weapons that can take out seven strategic enemies that attack us and undermine our efforts to maintain steady, sound minds. The big picture here is this. We have chaotic thought lives. These thoughts often lead to wild emotions. True? Emotions that tell us how to behave. Those behaviors dramatic, dramatically affect our relationships. Continuing down that spiral will look we looked at previously. What we're saying then is that how we think directly results in how we live. This might sound terrifying, but in fact it's exciting. You'll have to trust me for now. This is what I know. While we may not be able to take every thought captive in every situation we face every day, we can learn to take one thought captive and in doing so, affect every one, every other one thought to come. So what is the one thought that can successfully interrupt negativity, a negative thought pattern? It's this, I have choice. That's it. The singular interrupting thought is this one, I have choice. If you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you have the power of God in you to choose. You are no longer a slave to passion, to lust, to strongholds, to sin of any kind. You have a God-given, God-empowered, God-redeemed ability to choose what you think about. You have a choice regarding where you focus your energy. You have a choice regarding what you live for. I have a choice. We are not subject to our behaviors, genes, or circumstances. We are not subject to our passion, lust, or emotions. We are not subject to our thoughts. We have a choice because we are conquerors who possess weapons to destroy strongholds. Now, we rarely get to choose our circumstances, but Paul said we have a choice about what we think about those sometimes, those challenging things. And I love that truth. I love that truth because so often I sit down with women and I hear their stories And it doesn't matter what country or city we're in, the struggles are the same. I'm talking to women in huts in Uganda. I'm sitting on the mud floor with them, with interpreters, and they are talking about the same fears for their kids that I have for mine. The people who stand out to me are the ones who have chosen to trust Jesus more than trusting their ability to make everything work out fine. These heroes of faith are not subject to their own thoughts. They are not subject to their own feelings. They believe in one chief aim, and with every ounce of their power, they are working to think about Christ. Jesus is the axis around which all their thought spirals spin. When their minds turn and turn, they fixate on him. Which prompts the question, what do you fixate on? You know your fixation. It's the one thing you constantly think about. Come on. My besties know my fixations because those fixations aren't easily hidden. Our fixations come out in our words and our feelings and in our decisions. They are the focus of the books we read, the podcast we subscribe to, the websites we soar, the groups we join. 
and the obsessions we pursue. Are you fixated on the fear that your kid will someday rebel? You're going to read lots of parenting books. Are you anxious about getting sick or being uber healthy? You'll listen to tons of health podcasts and spend a small fortune on essential oils. I've written before about the eating disorder I wrestled with in college and for several years after. It started when I was a cheerleader at the University of Arkansas and when we weighed every week. If any of us on the squad gained more than three pounds in a week prior, we got benched for that week's game. I was obsessed over meals, over working out, over what to eat and what not to eat. Those weigh-ins stopped, but my obsessions didn't. My fixation became a place I felt tragically stuck in. Then I read Paul's famous words. I could take my thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. My mind was blown. My spiral was interrupted. I had power over my life and my mind again. God has given you the power to interrupt this fixation. That's what that verse from Paul said to me. That was news I desperately needed to hear. The question that remained was, how? How could I interrupt my downward spin? For you, the answer, at least in part, might lie in counseling or in community or in fasting, certainly in prayer. For you and me both, the answer will center on God on his presence, on his power, on his grace, and on his word. Every spiral can be interrupted. No fixation exists outside God's long-armed reach. Because we are a new creation, we have a choice. He has given us the power and the tools and his spirit to shift the spiral. When we're willing to take initiative here, some pretty cool stuff starts to unfold. When we think new thoughts, we physically alter our brains. When we think new thoughts, we make healthier, neutral connections. When we think new thoughts, we blaze new trails. When we think new thoughts, everything changes for us. A mental reset. One author I came across in my studies about the brain was Dr. Dan Siegel, a professional of clinical psychiatry. Where attention goes, he wrote, Neural firing flows and neural connection grows. Patterns you thought were fixed are actually things that, with mental effort, can indeed be changed. We are not passive in all this activity of mind and awareness. What we think about, our brains become. What we fixate on is neurologically who we will be. It all comes down to thought, and then another thought, and then another thought after that. Tell me what you're thinking about, in other words, and I'll tell you who you are. Take my son Cooper, for instance. He's 10. Whenever he starts spiraling, his mind, body, and emotions going down, 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 I work to interrupt the spiral. I work to help redirect his thoughts. Buddy, time out, I tell him. I love you. You're okay. You don't have to panic. You can choose another way. You don't have to be steamrolled by this. I tell Cooper what is real. I tell Cooper what is true. And then I try to remember what's true for him is also true for me. Want in on a secret? That stuff is true for you too. You and I redirect children all the time. Why don't we redirect ourselves? First, of course, we have to remind ourselves that change is possible. Let me say it again. We have a choice. 
And the more often we grab hold of that truth, the easier it will be to interrupt the downward spiral of our thoughts. As I've been practicing the patterns we've, we're about to talk about and walk through together, shifting my thoughts has become more disciplined. Look at the spiral graphic on the next page. Starting from the bottom this time, with emotions and thoughts about to spiral out of control, see how we can stop and change them by choosing the mind of Christ. Paul's words in Romans have never been more real to me than in this fight. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see my members I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. This is a daily battle. I may not be doing it perfectly, but I have seen significant improvement. The change that once felt impossible, probable at best, was now in plain sight. On page 44, reading from, I think it said bottom to top. Emotion. I have a choice, the mind of Christ. Thought, behavior, relationships, consequence. I'm going to go ahead and, oh, actually, I think I might be able to finish. Where are you and I headed? We're aiming for one step beyond even that. Based on Paul's writings long ago to the church in Rome, you and I can learn to mind our minds to the point that controlling our thoughts becomes reflexive, an automatic, intuitive response. In Romans 8, 5, Paul said, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. And those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. He went on to say, To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give the mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. I have read and reread this passage in the past few months mulling over how life would be if I could truly have a mind that dwells on the Spirit, a mind that is full of life and peace, a mind that consistently thinks about God, who He is and what He wants for me. I so desperately want the perfect peace. God promises when my mind is fixed on Him. Again, not perfectly, but more regularly thinking this way. I want to be so well-versed in the patterns of thinking in line with the Spirit that my default is not to rely on the flesh, but on the spirit in everything. This is the goal for our deliberate interruptions. We abruptly stop the crazy spiral of our minds. As we practice the act of interruption, we're shifting to a whole new mindset. And with each shift, we find ourselves growing more and more into the mind of Christ. When we're spiraling in noise or distractedness, we have the choice to shift our minds back to God through, silly, through stillness. When we're spiraling in isolation, we have a choice to shift our minds back to God through community. When we're spiraling in anxiety, we have the choice to shift our minds back to God through trust in His good and sovereign purposes. 
When we're spiraling in cynicism, we have the choice to shift our minds back to God through worship. When we're spiraling in self-importance, we have the choice to shift our minds back to God through humility. When we're spiraling in victimhood, we have the choice to shift our mind back to God through gratitude. When we're spiraling in complacency, we have the choice to shift our minds back to God through serving Him and others. I should tell you here that after the day of prayer and fasting that led to my becoming obsessively vigilant about practicing the Paul-like patterns you'll read about in part two of this book, I've never again woken up terrified. For a year now, those 3 a.m. wake-up calls are no longer paralyzing me. In the same way, you may find that some thoughts, once interrupted, will simply lose their power. God can do this. Other thoughts, however, may require daily capturing and redirecting, or hourly, in some cases more often than not. But those deadly thoughts can be captured, they can be contained. We can be set free from the steepest of spirals. We can learn to mind our minds. We can live as if we have a choice in this matter, because we do, in fact, have a choice. A heavenly father gave everything for me to be free, everything so I could choose this way. He built the way out of love and blood of his son, Jesus. When we think thoughts that lead to life and peace, we don't just get better thoughts, we get more of God. We may still awake in the wee hours of the morning when all around us is dark, but rather than squirming and stewing and letting evil scenarios run haywire through our minds, we meet with God, be reminded of his kindness, and pray. The battle of our minds is won as we focus on Jesus every moment, every hour, every day. End of chapter 5